All right, we want to take a break now to thank one of our sponsors here. You know, we only like to promote and talk about products that we genuinely love here. And here on the podcast, we love our bull and branch sheets. Uh, We've had them in our house more than a year. Jill, I know you have as well. Most, we are huge fans of bull and branch. And if you don't have bull and branch sheets already, what are you waiting for? It's a new year, new you, new sheets. And if all of you with your resolutions are working out, trying to eat healthy, give yourself the gift of some soft sheets. It's a New Year's resolution you can achieve. Bowl and Brand sheets get softer with every wash. We have a few sets here in our house. They're made with 100% organic cotton. They don't have those toxins, those synthetic pesticides, harsh chemicals that many other brands have. So they're especially good if you have sensitive skin. Moshe, that's a big issue in my house. The sheets are good for all seasons. They'll be great. They'll keep you cool in the summer. They'll keep you warm in the winter. And right now, we have a special deal going for the Mo News community. On your first order of Bowl and Branch, you can get 15% off. Just head over to bowlandbranch.com. That is bowl, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Use the promo code, what else? Mo News. Keep in mind, exclusions do apply. So see the site for details. Hey everyone, it is Monday, September 26th. I'm Mosh Wanunu and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. There are a lot of headlines we are monitoring on this Monday morning. We're going to have the latest on Ian as it becomes a hurricane and potentially heads on a track that'll take it towards Florida later this week. This comes as more than a million Puerto Ricans enter a second week without water and power from Hurricane Fiona, which also hit Canada over the weekend. We're continuing to track protests in Iran now in their second week. Details are eking out despite the internet ban in the country. There's a new study out on the best way to take pills, to swallow pills, which direction to be leaning in, literally, if you want that aspirin to hit you the quickest. I'll have the details on that. Tennis great Roger Federer played his final match over the weekend. We got confirmation on who will perform the Super Bowl halftime show. It is not who we thought it was going to be going into the weekend. And finally, some outer space news. We will find out later tonight if NASA is successful in its year-long mission to literally crash a probe into an asteroid and knock it off course. I'll have details on what to look out for. But I want to start in the tropics, first with Ian, which as a tropical storm barreled into western Cuba on Sunday, it is set to become a hurricane on Monday, which will put it on a potential collision course with Florida later this week. That's according to the National Hurricane Center. Some forecasters have it hitting Florida anywhere between Tampa and the Panhandle, potentially as a Category 3, though I should note the models are still a little bit all over the place and continue to change every few hours. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, declared a state of emergency over the weekend. He's calling for the entire state to prepare for the storm, urging residents to load up on food, water, medicine, batteries, and fuel. It is still too early to determine when or if Ian will even make landfall, but the evacuation orders may be coming in the coming days. And he says that residents of the east coast of Florida should still be on alert. This hurricane could go in any direction. As of right now, by Tuesday, meteorologists predict it could reach category four strength. That'll mean sustained winds between 130 to 156 miles per hour, that is catastrophic. It could then start to weaken. The big question is by how much. A lot of this depends on the temperature of the Gulf waters, depending on the direction it takes. But between now and then, the Florida Keys and South Florida could see up to five inches of rain through Tuesday. Again, all of Florida really has to watch where Ian goes. The west coast of Florida has gotten lucky in the past couple years. Remember, Elsa in 2021 made landfall west of Tampa, had weekend Ada back in 2020, made landfall north of Tampa, also 
weakening, but neither had the firepower close to this category three. So again, we will continue to watch this throughout the week. Staying with Tropic News for a second, we are continuing to monitor the fallout of Hurricane Fiona. About half of the nearly one and a half million power customers in Puerto Rico still don't have electricity that is more than a week after Fiona made landfall. Electricity has been restored to about 55% of all customers, but that still leaves nearly half the island with no power. About 20% of the island, a couple hundred thousand residents of Puerto Rico still don't have water a week later. Meanwhile, Fiona made its way north over the weekend, pummeled eastern parts of Canada, battering Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, Newfoundland, and Quebec with hurricane-strength winds that far north. As of Sunday, 400,000 Canadians didn't have power. Fiona washed a number of houses out to sea, tore the roofs off of others. It really transformed on Friday from a hurricane into what they call a post-tropical storm, but it still had hurricane-strength winds and brought drenching rains. As of right now, Fiona has been blamed for five deaths in the Caribbean and one death in Canada. Let's go abroad to Iran, where Iranians took to the streets for the 10th night on Sunday. Clashes continued between security forces and protesters across Iran in more than 80 cities, including the capital of Tehran. Details and videos are still eking out. That's despite a government crackdown on cell phone towers and the internet. We continue to see uh, the Iranian people continue to find ways to get out photos and video from protests across the country. Reuters was reporting on Sunday that several northwestern regions, mainly in the Kurdish areas, saw major clashes. There have been reports that at least one town of 40,000 has been completely taken over by the protesters. But again, we're still waiting on details there. It is very hard to eke out what is confirmed given the internet bans. A major teachers unit in Iran posted a statement on social media on Sunday calling for a national strike of teachers and students, urging teachers, trade unionists, military veterans, and artists to all stand up with the protesters. A reminder that these demonstrations all started 10 days ago. That's after a 22-year-old Iranian Kurdish woman named Masa Amini died in detention. She had been arrested by the police, which was enforcing strict restrictions on women's dress. There is a hijab law. Women are required in Iran to cover their heads. Uh, the police took her in saying she was not properly following the law. It would turn out hours later she would show up in the hospital in a coma. The family and now tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of protesters around the country blamed the police for killing Amini. She has become a rallying cry for the protesters, though these protests have evolved from just complaints about women's treatment to calls for the downfall of the 43-year-old authoritarian Islamic dictatorship in the country. Iranian authorities are blaming countries around the world for inciting these protesters. They say this is all about uh, interventionism by the U.S., Britain, the Israelis, etc. Iranian authorities summoned the ambassadors of Britain and Norway over the weekend, uh, calling them out for supporting the protests. They also, the Iranians did, criticize the U.S. for what they say is destabilizing Iran by supporting what they call rioters. Iranian state television says 41 people have been killed since the protests first broke out on September 16th, but rights groups and other observers believe, unfortunately, that the death toll could be in the hundreds at this point as protests have spread in at least 80 cities and towns, as I mentioned, and journalists across the country have been arrested. So we don't really have great third-party verified data on what is happening. WhatsApp, Instagram, and Skype have all been blocked as part of the internet access ban. This is according to NetBlocks, which monitors web traffic around the world. Iran already had bans on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Telegram, though many people are using VPNs, virtual private networks, to uh, get out information, photos, and videos. 
Staying abroad here for a second, Russia held a referendum over the weekend in occupied territories in Ukraine that they currently control. Officials in those territories were forcing people to vote literally by gun barrel, according to some of the videos I've seen. Residents called them staged referendums intended to validate Moscow's annexation of the territories they occupy. The outcome really isn't in doubt here. Russia has already published polls claiming 97% of Ukrainians living in territories they occupy want to be part of Russia. The Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said on Saturday that Russia will offer, quote, full protection to these new areas. Effectively, these referenda are a, a desperate attempt by Russia to hold on to the territory. If you've been following our coverage, you know that Ukraine has been making progress regaining parts of their country, though these referenda could effectively lead to an annexation of 15 percent of Ukraine. These referendums are officially illegal under Ukrainian and international law and have not met the basic democratic standards for free and fair elections. Again, as I mentioned, there are videos coming out of Russian authorities literally going door to door uh, soldiers with guns saying it's time to vote in this referenda. President Biden is among the Western leaders who have called these referenda a sham. The goal here, analysts say, is that by annexing these regions, Russia could then paint any effort by the Ukrainians to take back their own territory as a direct attack on Russia itself that could increase the potential direct military confrontation here. There have been concerns, of course, about Russian rhetoric when it comes to nuclear weapons. Russia defends Russia with nuclear weapons. If they now claim that the 15% of Ukraine that they're annexing here is now part of Russia, that then puts that under that shield. So again, this has led some military analysts to be concerned about what could happen down the road here. It's something we should continue to monitor throughout this week and in the coming weeks. Now to a bit of news about 7 million miles away. The future of human civilization could be determined tonight at about 7.14 p.m. Eastern time. Okay, I'm being a bit dramatic there. This will at least tonight be the first test of whether we can save humanity. For those of you who have seen the movie Armageddon, we're effectively trying a version of that. Scientists and engineers from NASA are going to be watching whether a spacecraft the size of a vending machine will successfully be able to crash into an asteroid and push it off course tonight. As I mentioned, this is happening about 7 million miles from Earth. NASA launched this spacecraft from Earth back last November. They hope they got the timing and the speed right over these last 10 months. They're going to know about minutes before whether they got this right and whether they were going to be able to successfully hit the asteroid and then whether the attempt will successfully knock the asteroid off its course. I should say here, by the way, this asteroid is not set to hit Earth, but NASA does not want to wait until an asteroid is actually headed our way to test this new defense system. The goal here is to demonstrate a technology that literally could save human civilization. It's called DART, D-A-R-T, the Double Asteroid Redirection Test. The Washington Post reports that DART team members are confident they'll succeed, but they admit that this is not a slam dunk. They're essentially flying a spacecraft at 14,000 miles per hour over 10 months, 7 million miles into an asteroid that's about twice the length of a football field. No one has ever done this before. The asteroid is called Dimorphos. It's about 500 feet in diameter, like I said, the length of two football or soccer fields. No one knows precisely what it looks like. It's just so far been a fuzzy blob in telescopes. The first time we Earthlings will get a good look at it is about an hour before impact. Dimorphos orbits another larger asteroid called Didymos, which is Greek for twin. They're both hurtling around the sun. And again, they're not set to hit Earth, but NASA wants to start to test this system. So we are ready one day for a potential asteroid that is headed our way. Some data here uh, for those of you worried about this sort of thing that took out the dinosaurs. The most worrisome asteroids that potentially have global climate repercussions, as in could take out all human beings, are the ones larger than one kilometer in diameter. They're the easiest to spot. NASA believes that 95% of those rocks 
have been identified and they continue to monitor those. But there are smaller asteroids anywhere from 100 meters to a kilometer in diameter. NASA believes that only half of those have been identified. They're still trying to identify the rest of them. Rocks in that size range, and that includes Dimorphos, which we're trying to knock off its course, could wipe out a major city. I'm wishing the folks at NASA good luck tonight. Uh, we'll all be waiting for our news alerts just after 7.14 p.m. Eastern time to find out whether we were able to knock this asteroid off course and hopefully not in any unanticipated direction. I wanna stay with science news here for a second. Researchers at Johns Hopkins University tested people swallowing pills in different positions to find out how long it takes for a pill to be absorbed. And they found some interesting results. The researchers there found whether you're standing upright or leaning, as well as what side you're leaning to, could significantly impact how fast the contents of a pill are absorbed in your body. So here are the numbers. Sitting up straight, it took 23 minutes for a pill to be dissolved. Leaning to the right, it took only 10 minutes a savings of 13 minutes, meaning after 10 minutes, that pill was dissolved in the uh, people's bodies. However, leaning to the left, it took more than one and a half hours for a pill to be dissolved. So the basic headline from the study is that leaning to the right is the quickest route to getting your pill absorbed. They explain that the reason why a human's posture affected the rate of dissolution of the pills has two reasons, the shape of the stomach and gravity. For most humans, with rare exceptions, the stomach hooks to the right as it connects to the intestine, and any food or liquid in the stomach isn't absorbed until it reaches the intestines. So the researchers found that when gravity works with the natural pathway from the stomach to the right to the intestines, the pill traveled at a faster rate towards the intestines and absorption. But there are a lot of caveats here. The study, they say, doesn't mean you should immediately lean to the right or lie down every time you take a pill. Some drugs, particularly those that have gastrointestinal side effects, some of us are affected by those, come with instructions to stay upright while taking them. Also, drug manufacturers typically assume you're upright when you swallow a pill and when they test pills. There's a lot of assumptions here uh, on the part of the Johns Hopkins researchers, by the way. They assume that all stomachs contain just one liquid, water, juice, or milk when the pills were uh, swallowed and absorbed. It's actually the same assumption that drug companies make in their tests that you only have a basic liquid in your stomach and not a mixture of food, etc. Of course, some of them will tell you to have food in your belly when you swallow certain pills. And one more thing, they only tested one type of pill in the study. They are looking to do more research moving forward with more types of things in people's bellies, as well as different types of pills to really get a better sense of this. But this is probably a headline you're seeing over the weekend. Again, they warn that you shouldn't just immediately uh, start leaning to the right, but it is an interesting uh, headline. And uh, the researchers at Hopkins hope to study this more in the coming years. Okay, one more international headline we're watching is the election results out of Italy, where they've made some history. Far-right leader Georgia Maloney appears to have won Italy's election. She's on course to become the country's first female prime minister in history, and she will also form Italy's most right-wing government since World War II. That's really saying something. Italian politics are notorious for their many governments, their instability. There actually have been 69 Italian governments in less than 80 years. Now in Italy that is led by the 45 year old leader Georgia Maloney has some concern across the European Union, particularly up in Germany and in France. Italy is the third largest economy in the EU. She campaigned under the motto, God, country and family. She leads a party whose agenda is rooted in Euro skepticism anti-immigration policies, and one that is proposed curtailing LGBTQ and abortion rights. 
Although she has worked to soften her image, emphasizing her support for Ukraine, she had in years previous been very supportive of Vladimir Putin. She has now said she is supportive of Ukraine and critical of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. She says she does support staying in the EU, though she does lead a party that is rooted in a post-war movement that rose out of Benito Mussolini's fascist movement. Mussolini, if you recall, led Italy for 20 years as a fascist leader in the 20s and 30s, early 40s, had an alliance with Hitler. The party flag for Maloney's party includes the tricolor flame that was a symbol of fascism in the early 20th century. She has refused to remove the flame from her party's logo, though she has spent time trying to say that despite not removing that logo, she doesn't support fascism. Her rhetoric is couched in Italian nationalism, returning Italy to Italians, decrying the LGBTQ lobby, what she calls woke policies. She also said earlier this summer that she would introduce a naval blockade to patrol the Mediterranean and interdict people trying to come into Italy from North Africa. It remains to be seen how she will govern, whether the softened rhetoric of recent months on the campaign trail was just for the campaign or really a change in some of the policies we've seen. Italy has flirted with more far-right movements in recent years. Uh, this is going to be, though, the first time that Italy is led by the far right, again, for the first time in nearly 80 years. A bit of sports news, Roger Federer, the tennis great, played his final professional match on Friday night. He actually partnered with his old rival, Rafael Nadal, in a doubles match over at the Laver Cup in London. It was a loss, unfortunately, for Nadal and Federer in Federer's last match. Uh, they represented Team Europe, but it doesn't take away from what was an incredible career. Federer was interviewed afterwards. He said, quote, it's been a perfect journey. I would do it all over again. It was a very emotional affair. As Federer first took the court, there was a more than 10-minute standing ovation from the crowd at the Laver Cup. And at the end, Federer was joined by his wife, their four children. They have a set of twin girls and a set of twin boys. Federer's parents were also with him on the court afterwards as they were all bawling. Members of both teams joined together to hoist Federer up in the air afterwards. After 24 years on the tour, he has rung up 20 Grand Slam titles, 103 tournament wins. Before Federer began winning his Grand Slams back in 03, the men's mark for the most number of tennis championships was 14. That was Pete Sampras. Federer blew past that. He had eight Wimbledon wins, six at the Australian Open, five at the U.S. Open, and one French Open victory, setting a new standard, 20 Grand Slam titles, though that has already been surpassed. Rafael Nadal has 22. Djokovic has 21. Regardless, Federer has made a huge impact on the sport, and his departure does come, as we said goodbye recently to Serena Williams, another tennis all-time great. And finally, a drum roll for the Super Bowl. We have finally found out this weekend who will headline the 2023 Super Bowl, Rihanna. She posted an image on her Instagram account of an outstretched arm holding an NFL football. You might remember she declined the 2019 Super Bowl halftime show. That was out of solidarity with Colin Kaepernick. He was the QB from the 49ers who was accusing the NFL of colluding to keep him out of the league for kneeling during the national anthem. Rihanna that year said she was not going to partake in that. She is officially back. She will headline the 2023 Super Bowl. That announcement came over the weekend with uh, Apple Music as well as Rock Nation. That is Jay-Z's label. They are executive producers of the show. Jay-Z called Rihanna a once-in-a-generation talent, a woman of humble beginnings who has surpassed expectations at every turn. The Super Bowl will take place this year in Arizona on February 12th. After years of Pepsi sponsoring the Super Bowl halftime show, it will be sponsored for the first time this year by Apple Music. We did begin this weekend with reports that the headliner would be Taylor Swift. Variety said they had it with three sources. It turned out they, in fact, did not have it. 
Taylor said she was not partaking in the Super Bowl halftime show. We now know it will be Rihanna taking the lead on the halftime show. It'll be interesting to see who else shows up. Remember, Jay-Z produced last year's show. They had a number of headliners, including a surprise by 50 Cent and others. Rihanna, for her part, ranks as one of the best-selling female artists ever. She last performed publicly at the Grammy Awards back in 2018. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to the show on whatever app you're listening to us on. And please leave us a review. Every review makes a difference and helps us continue to rise the ranks. I'd love your feedback on how we're doing, on what we're covering. Email me over at podcast at mo.news. Subscribe to the Mo News newsletter over at monews.bulletin.com. And follow me on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. I would like to wish Jews celebrating Rosh Hashanah a Shana Tova, a happy new year as we begin a new year today. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow.